Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Nastasia Tay. Now, the Libyan revolution brought down Muammar Gaddafi 10 years ago. Many thought the Gaddafi name was consigned to history, but now his son, Saif al-Islam Gaddafi, is running in next month's presidential election. What are his chances, and will the vote unite Libya or create more divisions? Well, let's now bring in our guests. In Doha, we have Yusuf Bouandel. He is a professor of political science and international relations at Qatar University. In Istanbul, we have Anas Elgomati. He's the director of the Sadiq Institute there. And in Paris, Mustafa Fatouri, a journalist and, the con- and a contributor to the Middle East Monitor. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today and welcome to the program. Uh, now, I see after 10 years of silence, uh, Saif al-Islam, in his big New York Times interview, he talks about coming back with this aura of mystery, almost like a, like a striptease of sorts. Uh, now we've, it seems, seen the big reveal. Um, I'm curious because he looks like quite the changed man. He used to favor a lot more Western European clothing. We've seen him now register in, in very traditional robes. Um, Mustafa, I know very little has been heard from him, in the, from the public certainly, for all these years. Is he a changed man? Well, certainly he is. Uh, just if you, you know, take into account the fact that he has been over a decade in isolation and completely cut from the outside world, uh, without his family, without his uh, close friends and associates, that would uh, would have changed anybody. Uh, he also faced uh, death penalty by Libyan court back in 2015 and. Uh, there were even suspicions if he was ever, ever uh, alive or not. Uh, in terms of politics, and probably uh, a little bit more about the tribal conceptual uh, in which he might uh, play in the near future, I think he's also changed man. He has been involved in a couple of uh, very important reconciliation processes. With the, between tribes, especially in the city of Sabah, just uh, two weeks ago, successfully between his tribe and the Wlad Suleiman, their close friends and allies throughout history. Uh, in terms of you know the, the, the Libyan public view of him, I think it has changed as well because they see him now as some kind of a, a savior, if you like, because of what has been happening in the country itself. Oh, these are just a few points that indicate he is a changed man mm-hmm. indeed, regardless of the kind of robes or clothes he has put on to come out for the first time publicly alive. <clears throat> I do want to dig into uh, what kind of a man he is and how might that affect his support, how he might potentially govern if he won. Uh, he went to the London School of Economics. He was considered a reformer. And back in London in 2003, I believe it was, when he was asked what Libya needed most, he said democracy. And he said that was because his country at the time didn't have any real democracy. But then in 2011, he backed his father. So, Anas, what happened? Well, it's not safe the reformer, it's safe the performer. And the theatrics of the last 24 hours confirm that. Very little has changed about Saif al-Islam al-Gaddafi. He chose to wear the clothes that his father wore 10 years ago uh, when he gave his infamous Bab al-Aziya speech where he threatened to exterminate the population of Benghazi. This is not a man that has changed. It's a man that has learned the art and tricks of performance. This is also someone that understands rule by one man and rule by tribe. That is not something that Libyans haven't seen before. Libyans have lived and experienced that for many, many years. He can certainly find friends around the corner in Sabha, where he certainly is now, and I'm sure he'll find friends that want to adopt that tribal clothing 
or that want to hark back to that era. But today, Libya needs a consensus figure, someone that wants to that turn that chapter over. And wearing the, the clothes that your father wore when you threatened the Libyan population is not something that indicates that you're a consensus figure. It indicates that you're a divisive figure. Now, I'll finish with this. It's the mother of all ironies that today, Saif al-Islam uh, al-Gaddafi is trying to exercise his democratic rights to pursue a presidential bid and campaign against the very system that him and his father chose to brutally prime put down as a movement during the February 17th revolution. This is a man that chose to go with his father and against the Libyan people, against his own rhetoric in the years that he was at the LSE and tried to uh, and chose to try to put down a pro-democracy movement and today is trying to exploit that system uh, at its most vulnerable. And he has had friends over the last several years. He hasn't been living completely in isolation. Go to Bloomberg in 2019 at the peak of the civil war in Tripoli. He was visited by two Russians who were later abducted and arrested in Tripoli. And when they were interrogated, it was realized that they were in contact with Saif al-Islam Gaddafi, who was intrigued by Russian capabilities in manipulating elections. He's been planning this for some time. We're just the latest to find out about it. Well, I want to get to some of the international connections in a moment. But as you say, Anas, he, there was a crackdown. But before the crackdown, he did have very close ties to a lot of the protest leaders, a lot of the, the people in that movement. I recall also Al Jazeera spoke to him back in 2011, and it struck me when I was watching it today just how much he disavowed those people. Let's take a listen. I'm the first person, 10 years ago, I said, we need constitution, we need more freedom, we need democracy, we need election. I said this many, many times, but now... But it didn't happen. Yeah, okay, and now, now you have an no, uprising no, on no, your hands. No, no, it's not uprising. Now you have people who want to split the country, east and west. They want to create three or four states. Now you have people who are terrifying our people. Now you have terrorists, you have militia. Now the picture is different. Wait for surprises next days. You will see what will happen. The Libyan people, they woke up from the shock, they realized everything, and now they are reacting and fighting back. And you will see what will happen in the, in the, in the next days. Yusuf, what do you make of that rhetoric? Well, I think that uh, Saif al-Islam has been talking about democracy and human rights and so on and so forth for a long time. He, he had this project of he calls Libya's Rad uh, of to Tomorrow's Libya, where he had a vision for a Libyan that is that uh, Libya that is completely uh, different uh, from uh, the past. He was forward uh, thinking and so on and so forth. Uh, he was instrumental in uh, uh, bringing uh, to Libya so many uh, opponents of his father's regimes. He, play, he played a leading role in releasing political prisoners and so on and so forth. But. Like uh, your guest uh, from um, Istanbul uh, said, I think uh, the Saif al-Islam's uh, downfall was uh, to make a very, very hard choice between the Libyan people and his family or his father. And even though he was talking about democracy and freedom and so on and so forth when he was at the LSC and during this particular interview that you just uh, heard, but when it came to the real uh, choice, he sided uh, with uh, his uh, father. Obviously, in my opinion, the uh, choice of clothing uh, yesterday uh, in when he uh, made his candidacy for the presidential election, in my view, uh, wasn't a good one because 
it brings back the images of uh, Colonel Gaddafi in Bab al-Aziziya. But mm. he also wanted to show the Libyan people also that he is a uh, changed man. He is wearing the traditional clothes. He's growing a grow a beard. And what struck me most is that at the end of, uh, of the session, he did not give a proper speech, but he just quoted something from uh, the uh, Quran. You know, in the way I looked at it is, he's telling the Libyan people that I am a changed man, I am a reformed man, and God is uh, my witness that we are going to do things. Mm -hmm. or to play the things in the right way. Yusuf, you say that he made a choice. Well, there was that moment back in 2011 which really felt like a major turning point. Now, Saif al-Islam, he gave that speech, nationally televised speech. A lot of people actually at the time, I recall, thought that he was actually going to announce that he was taking over from his father, but instead he said this. L let's play this clip. Five million people will take up arms. We're not Egypt. We're not Tunisia. We will all have weapons. Blood will flow, rivers of blood, in all the cities of Libya. Mustafa, was that a prediction or was that a threat? No, it was 100% uh, accurate prediction. Unfortunately, it's true, very true. We have been living it you know, since uh, 2011 until today. And uh, I, if I just go back a little bit to touch on the, uh, what, what Anas have said from Istanbul about the Russian friends who saved that visited him last year and they were abducted and, uh, you know, incarcerated in Tripoli and interrogated to confess that they are something, you know, some kind of Russian agent. They are, I, I have to, you know, uh, clarify this. I investigated the story thoroughly through Tripoli and uh, Moscow. And I, uh, you know, through contacts in Moscow, the organization, the civil organization, non-governmental organization uh, in Moscow that sent the, the two researchers and they had the permission from the government in Libya and especially from Mr. Khaled al-Mashri, who is the uh, chairman of the Supreme Council of State, to visit Saif al-Islam. And they already told Tripoli Authority at the time what they are doing while they are visiting him. And uh, the 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 the, uh, the Libyan authority at the time uh, changed their mind afterwards because they wanted to blackmail Russia into something else, something different mm -hmm. that has to do with uh, stopping supporting uh, Mr. Haftar and his campaign to take Tripoli by force. Having said that, I think we have made too much fuss about the uh, the, the 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 kind of appearance safe made uh, yesterday. You know, in terms of clothes and. I don't think there is much to read about this. You know, it's, uh, why should he? Why should he put on uh, civilian or okay. Western life? Okay, Mustafa. Codes, I, I do want to bring okay. Anas in here just on the the international implications and the international backing of potential candidates in this election. So, Anas, you mentioned Russia there. Do you potentially think that Safe is going to have a lot of backing from Moscow going forward? Yeah, moment of patience, though. Just to clarify on what Mustafa was saying about those Russians. At the peak of a civil war, when the New York Times, Bloomberg, Reuters all reported on Russian mercenaries and snipers firing in, uh, in, in, uh, against civilians, leaving landmines and destroying and displacing hundreds of thousands from southern neighborhoods in Tripoli, there were two members of a Russian, Russian civil society 
That's a that's a that's a an oxymoron in terms. I mean, it doesn't even exist. The idea that these two individuals are walking around, no, prancing around, and very much, very much. My friend, I I'll talked finish. to them personally. Gentlemen, I, I, I really don't want to get too far into these two okay. Russian so, men. I'd like to focus on go, where we are going forward. Take though, you can keep selling, Mustafa. I'm not buying. I don't think anyone else is buying. The New York Times and Bloomberg and Stanford University also published those reports. You can find them online. They're not buying. So it has been the case that they have been supporting Saifal Islam and that today that's what elections mean. Elections don't mean only a serious test of public opinion as what they meant in 2011. They mean uh, uh, online movements that can be manipulated and social and political sentiment that can be manipulated and manufactured. The idea that popularity is something that you can hold in your hand and put in your pocket is a myth. It's something that is curated, it's ripened and it's fashioned. And that's what that's why over the last 24 hours we can see on social media in Libya a massive, massive uptick in unorganic traffic and things trickling down through civil society into Libya, trying to get traction for civil Islam and trying to push his agenda onto Libyan people. Just the iconography alone. Okay. And also just the final aspect about, about what he chose to wear. It wasn't like that was the only thing left in his closet. Have a bit more sense than that, uh, uh, most of us. Okay, I, I want to bring Yusuf in here because we obviously know that there have been a huge amount of international involvement in Libya, particularly over the conflict over the last few years. Um, it's evident that Saif al-Islam blames the US for much of what's happened since 2011. And we've also seen huge involvement from Turkey, the UAE and Russia, as we've been talking about. So, Yusuf, who do you think is backing Saif al-Islam now? Do you think, do you agree with Anas? Is, is it Moscow? Well, I think uh, Moscow is one of uh, the uh, uh, major players uh, leading uh, Saif al-Islam. But I, uh, but I think, to a very large extent, the situation will be played inside. Uh, your guest from Tripoli uh, is right in uh, talking about social media and so on and so forth. But this is not just for the case of uh, Libya. We've seen elections manipulated between inverted commas in even in uh, the UK, for instance, when the different political parties. Uh, tried to uh, defeat the conservative uh, candidates when Martin Bell came, uh, stood as a candidate. We saw uh, the reports in the United States about the role of Facebook mm. in, uh, the, in uh, Donald Trump's elections. These things happen, and they're not necessarily about Libya in particular. They've been perceived as some kind of legitimate, between inverted commas, tactics to get people elected. But the fact that Saif al-Islam is, uh, is back, and I believe that he has a very good chance of winning, because let's see it uh, this way. Over the last 10 years, there has been a revolution against uh, Colonel uh, Gaddafi. What are the results? There are so many economic and social problems within Libya uh, today. The country is almost divided, and we saw that, for instance, over the last three weeks when the Libyan foreign minister uh, uh, was removed okay. from office. We saw the different, uh, the different reaction between the government and the presidential uh, council, and so on and so forth. Uh, there are the uh, instability at the moment in Libya, and so many people, by, by uh, perhaps 
longing back, I would venture to say they're longing back mm -hmm. to the old days of Khalid al-Qaddafi, at least in terms of uh, stability and in terms of the social and economic uh, problems. They see uh, Saif al-Islam al-Qaddafi sure. as somebody who has been involved in these political policies, especially over the, the first 10 uh, years of the new millennium. He knows the country quite well. He knows uh, the, the different, uh, he worked on so many uh, cases uh, for his uh, father. I would say he has files mm -hmm. about French, British, Italian, American involvements, which he can use as a bargaining chips. Okay, so, uh, sorry, I, I do want to bring in Mustafa here, because I, I do believe that Saif al-Islam's team has been also reaching out to you, Mustafa, ahead of his presidential bid. I'm curious as to what you make of his chances. I see from one poll, I mean, I know polling is patchy to say the least, but one poll suggested that in one southern region, 57% of people say that they support him. Is that, given that Libya is such a fragmented country, does that hold true across the country? Well, more or less, I would say, yes, they have been reaching out uh, to me for, you know, uh, just consultation issues, you know, about uh, different uh, kind of things that, that have to do with the reconciliation uh, among tribes in Libya. But uh, what we have said about the, the, the support for him is quite, uh, you know, quite uh, global inside the country, if you like. And I, I would give him in the first round around 45% to 50%. But he will not, if he runs, of course, uh, he will not make it outright. And there will be a second uh, a second round of uh, voting, I guess. And that's where he, he will win. I'll give you another example. Maybe we don't have, you know, precise numbers in terms of uh, balls and, uh, you know, that, that you could you could actually refer to. But, uh, you know, just judging by, you know, following social media platforms, Libyan social media platforms, you could see it, you know, in terms of, you know, in cities like Bani Walid and Tarhuna and uh, smaller cities, you know, like Tawarga, most, most of its population is still not there. And uh, the quiet, the, the southern west of the country, I think his supporters around 65%, uh, you know, just as yesterday. And the same goes to southern parts and uh, western, uh, western parts of Tripoli as well. He might not achieve that figure inside Tripoli itself or Benghazi, but I do expect him to win, really, okay. uh, given the wide support he is enjoying. Now, just I, one I... thing about the Russian support. I mean, the Russians never actually ex expressed support to any Libyan uh, political vigor or party, but okay. they did indeed receive a couple of uh, envoys from Mr. Saver Sam. Yes. Okay, I, I do want to move on because we we do want to dig in finally to what this what implications this might have for Libya. And there is a man who we haven't yet discussed, um, Khalifa Haftar, and he's also running for president. So, Anas, let me ask you this. I know, obviously, many foreign leaders, the United Nations, very keen for these elections to take place as scheduled in December. But could they actually potentially actually cause more division than create more stability and unity going forward? Absolutely. I mean, the center of gravity today for Saif al-Islam is Sabha. For Khalifa Haftar, it's Eastern Libya, uh, enclave in Rajma, near Benghazi. Um, and then the revolutionary camp, I would say, or the anti-Haftar camp, more expressly, is in, in, in Tripolitania. You have a Mexican standoff. I mean, that's just a, a terrible scenario as it is. Secondly, the perception of the elections is they're not going to be free and fair. They're not going to be credible. We're about five weeks away from 
uh, from elections. Not a single one of those candidates has come out and actually canvassed. Sefer Islam's two uh, speeches have included references to the striptease and then stitching together m multiple verses of the Quran so that they're not intelligible. So, And then you also have Khalifa Haftar, who is supposed to be going for elections, but yeah, hasn't really thrown his hat in for the candidacy yet. So with five weeks left to elections and not having spoken to your people, people don't believe that they're part of the process. They don't believe that the, that process will be free and fair and credible. If that is the case and the perception holds, I don't think they'll respect the outcome. And even if one of those candidates came out with 90% or 80% or the 45 that Mustafa mentioned, they're not consensus figures. They're not going to bridge those divides. There is an existential threat that all three of those camps feel by the other. And the only way to go through that is through a reconciliation process. And it's actually trying to put those things on the line that I don't believe any of those candidates today have the guts to do. Well, it's going to be a, certainly a controversial few weeks ahead. We'll have to leave it there, though, for now. Thanks in the meantime to all of our guests, Yusuf Bouandal, Anas Algamati, and Mustafa Faturian. Well, that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ung, Umari Stambouli, and Abdurrahman Wasami. Studio sound was by Alvaro Galan. The program was edited by Anna Savage, Lin Wen, and Joe DeFrias. Well, be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.